Thank you, Noah, and everyone else who shared with the praise team tonight. Appreciate that. Give them another good hand, will you? Awesome. It is good to be able to share with you tonight. Some of you are probably like, um, well, you know what? In fact, let me, uh, let me find out. How many of you have been to Hiawatha before? Let me see your hands. Okay, a slew of you. And how many of you, this is your first time to come to Hiawatha for a week? All right, quite a few of you. All right, awesome. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And um, for those of you that have been here before, you might know who I am. For those of you who have not been here before, you're probably like, where is the other guy? And um, Leo will be back. But uh, I get the privilege of speaking to you on Tuesday night, and I do count it a privilege, and I mean that sincerely. It is awesome to be able to talk to you and to share with you a little bit that God's laid on my heart because I think that your generation has the potential to make enormous change for the kingdom of God and to make such a kingdom difference and uh, it is awesome to be able to share a little bit and hopefully help nudge you in that direction. But the biggest reason that I get to do that, to be honest, is because my brother runs this place. So uh, my brother Craig and his wife Laura direct Hiawatha, um, and they followed in the footsteps of my dad and my mom, who did it for decades. And Craig and I have kind of grown up here. Uh, I don't really know any other place to be during the summer except right here. And so um, so it's an awesome privilege to be able to do that. My dad did this for a long time on Tuesday nights. And for the past few years, I've had the chance to, to talk to you. And so those of you who have been here before, you're kind of familiar with the fact that I'm going to share with you. And you're also familiar with the fact, and I might as well just kind of clue those of you who this is your first time in, um, I'm going to give you a chance tonight to kind of put some feet on your faith, okay? Uh, because that's important in our Christian lives. We need opportunity, and unfortunately, it's almost like it stops when you hit 20. At, at some age, you just kind of stop uh, putting yourself, being able to put yourself in a situation like this where God can have and make such a radical difference, and you can make a decision. You can, you can actually take some some action, and uh, and and my Craig was actually talking this morning to the staff about the fact that inspiration is one thing, but application is something totally different. And at camp, we have the chance to be inspired, and that is awesome. But God wants a little bit more. He wants us not just to have inspiration; He wants us to have some application with that inspiration. And so we have the chance tonight. To be able to do that. And I'm going to give you that chance later this evening. I'm going to give you that opportunity. I'm, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, even as far as what Leo has said in these past uh, few sessions that he's been with you. I'm going to give you a chance, what God's been doing in your heart and in your head, to now we're going to put some feet on that and make a difference. And I am praying that you will. I'm not even praying if you should, because I know all of us should. Um, there's going to be something in this message that hits everyone. As, as I was putting it together, I realized that so much of it was hitting me. And, and maybe even all three of the things that we talk about tonight will be somewhere you're like, you know what? Yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me. Awesome. Then let's allow God to do something on the inside, take it to the outside, and let it make a difference in 
our lives. And, uh, and so I'm glad for that chance. My grandmother uh, taught me, she basically taught me how to read. Um, even before I got into kindergarten, first grade, she was reading to me. She was showing me how to pronounce words. And, uh, and she taught me not only how to read, she taught me a love of reading. And she introduced me to some incredible classics, some, in fact, that you are familiar with. Before, long before there was ever a movie, my grandmother introduced me to the Chronicles of Narnia. And so I was reading those books as a little kid, and I was just enthralled with all of that, the witch, the lion, the witch, the wardrobe, all that. Um, uh, long before it ever hit the big screen, uh, I was reading those, those books, and all of them, she she got me a, a set of books by a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien. And he's the guy who put that, that trilogy together that shows the, and shares the story of the Hobbit and uh, his, his adventures uh, seeking the, the gold of, of Smog the dragon and then the, the two towers and the return of the king. I read all those books, as small a print as they were. She gave me a love for reading. But there's something about my grandma that I didn't realize until later in life. And that was this. My grandmother, before she ever read a book, she would read the last few pages of the book. She would read the last few pages and see if it was any good. If it was a good ending, then she'd go back at the beginning and read the whole thing. But if she didn't like the ending, if it was a bad ending, you know, if the prince dies or something like that, then we're not going to read that book. And she'd just set it aside. She would read the end first, and then she'd go back to the beginning and read the whole thing. We're going to do a little bit of that tonight, because tonight I'm, I'm actually going to kind of start at the very end, and, and, and then we're going to kind of take it backwards. So big picture first, and then we'll back up and come to some small steps that we can take to get to that big picture. And, and I'm going to share with you tonight three words. Three words, and I want you to get these three words down. I want you to know these three words. I want you to remember these three words. The first word is dream. Can you say that with me? Dream. Say it again. Dream. dream. That's the first word. That's the big picture. That's the end of the story. Then the next word is draw. Say that together with me. Ready? Draw. Say it one more time. Draw. So we've got dream and then draw. The third word is this. Drop. Drop. Ready? Say it with me. Drop. One more time, a little louder. Drop. Awesome. Now I want you to say all three of them so I know you've got them down before we ever start, and then we'll kind of pull it apart, okay? The first word is what? Dream. The second word is? Draw. And the third word is? That's pretty awesome. I think you've got it down, but I'm going to give you one more little quiz, and let's try it one more time. Ready? The first word is what? And the second word is? Draw. And the third word is? Draw. Awesome. Dream, draw, drop. If you can grab a hold of those three words, you'll grab a hold of what I say tonight. And I know some of you are like, well, can we be done? No, not quite. Let's pull it apart just a little bit more, all right? The first word is dream. Dream. And the reason I share that word with you is because God has a dream for your life that is bigger than the dream that you have 
for your life. God has a dream for your life. And you're like, Billy, there's no way that God has a dream for my life. God doesn't even know where I am or that I exist. Oh, he knows. He knows where you are. He knows where you are right this second. He knew before you ever got on a bus or a van or in a car to come up here that you were headed this direction. He ordained your steps to put you in this place and in this position. And one of the reasons that he might have done that is to help you understand that God has a dream for your life that he wants to plant in your heart. God has a dream for you. And in fact, his word says as much. There's a a book called Ephesians. Can you say that with me? Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. He had started this church, and uh, now he was writing a letter to them. And in that letter that he writes, he gets down. At first, he really thinks, these are my final words. Because at the end of chapter 3, he's kind of like in conclusion. But the truth is, he had three more chapters to go. So he was just like any other normal preacher or pastor or speaker, right? (laughs) Who says, and finally, and you know, you got another 20 minutes. He was getting down what he thought the end. He still had more to go. But he wanted to wrap it up with something strong, with a message that would make a difference, that they could hang on to. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And I'm reading it to you from uh, an interpretation of Scripture, a translation of Scripture called the message. It's very contemporary, but I love the way that he puts it. It says this, God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. God can do anything. And you might be here tonight and think to yourself, there's no way that God has a dream for my life. There's no way that God has a plan for my life. If you knew the circumstances of my life, Billy, if you knew where I came from, if you you knew some of the decisions that I've made, if you knew some of my past, God has a dream for your life. And he may very well tonight want to plant that dream in your heart. He has a dream for your life that is bigger than the dream that you have for your life. Paul says, trust me, God can do far more than what you can even begin to imagine. And I know that some of you have begun to at least think about, hey, man, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? What do I want to accomplish with my life? And maybe there have been times when you've just kind of sat, you know, in biology class and looked out the window because it was like your teacher sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, wah, 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 wah. And you were so bored, and you just began to look out there, and all of a sudden you just began thinking into the future and thinking about, man, what could I become? What do I want to be? What do I want to do? Who do I want to marry? God has a dream that is bigger and better than what you could ever dream for yourself. And he wants to plant the seed of that dream in your life tonight. Did you know that uh, the truth of the matter is you're here? You are here because of a dream that others had for you. You are here because of a dream that others had for you. Some of the people aren't even alive anymore, but they had a dream 
for this exact moment. They had a dream for what could happen right here. In fact, this, this place, I was talking with a gentleman today from around the lake, and we were having a little meeting, and we were talking about the fact that this place was an unreal dream and a miracle of God. And little did they know when they put all this together that you'd be here, but that was their dream. And for some of you, you are here because someone had a dream that was bigger than what they could ever imagine, bigger than what they could accomplish in and of themselves. In fact, I, I found some old pictures, and, uh, and, and they were kind enough to put them into the slides and, and put them up there for you. And I don't know how well you'll be able to see them, but I just want you to take a look at uh, a couple of these. See that, see that couple right there, Sharon Harris and Billy Walker? You say, you're Billy Walker. Yes, I am. I'm named after my father. That's before my mom and dad got married, okay? And they're here. You're like, well, where are they? Let me show you. They're right out here. Basically, well, here we go. How you doing? This is where that picture was taken. They were outside of this exact building back in the 50s. And my dad was already speaking and preaching. Even though there was no Hiawatha Youth Camp, there were still conferences and camps going on up here in the 50s. And they were part of it. And then in 1964, they started, a, they started a camp, Hiawatha Youth Camp. And that's, that's him right there with some of the staff and some of the campers. And you want to know where they're at? They're right here. That back wall is the same wall, same building. They had a dream that was bigger than what they could accomplish, bigger than what they could do. Do I have another shot in there? Sarah? Ah, there it is. I thought so. That right there. Well, those stairs, they still kind of exist. In fact, we're trying to figure out what to do with the railing. Sorry, I threw that out. It was, it's a private <laughs> joke. Uh, but those stairs led down to what was called a miracle building. And for, boy, 40-some years, that's where they moved all of the services from here down to there. Some of you might even remember that. I know staff does. And a storm came and kind of took that building down. And now if you look, you see the, the footprint of what will be. It's coming back together. And there's another dream being born for the young people that will come here in summers to come and make the same decisions that hundreds and thousands of young people have made over the course of hmm, 60 years. People had a dream. That's actually a, a Tuesday night, and my dad's standing up there. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the shot from the 60s, and the shot right there from probably the 80s or the 90s, they're using this pulpit right here. And, and last week, before Tuesday night came, I found this in a, a maintenance building up there. It, it had taken some pretty heavy blows when that building got knocked down. And it was in some pieces, but we had a couple guys up here who could kind of reassemble it. I said, man, if there's any way that you could put it together. Now, truthfully, it still needs some work. But I think it's pretty awesome. And the reason I think it's pretty awesome is because I'm going to guarantee you something. It, it took some knowledge. 
It took some giftedness. It took some talent for somebody to cut these pieces of wood and put this pulpit together and put a pulpit together that could be used for 60-some years. I'll guarantee that when they put it together, they had no idea. They had no idea. But God used that and continues to use a guy who has been long gone for a long time, and he used what he could do for his good and his glory, and it's still making a difference today. And whatever it is that you've got, and you've got something, you have gifts, you have talents, you are unique, and God wants to use those for his good, for his glory, for eternity. Wouldn't it be awesome if tonight God could begin to plant a dream in your life that would outlast you? Now, in order for that to happen, there, there's, there's a couple things because you need to take a look at some of the recurring themes or behaviors or choices that you are making because those behaviors, those choices that you're making right now, they have the tendency to last. And, and some of you, and, and man, I, I got to be honest with you, young people, I, I admire you. I mean, I... I'm amazed at what you've had to live through in the past few years, to be honest with you. Because when I think back on when I was 13, 14, 15, some of you in high school, some of our staff, of course, graduating, and I think back on all the things that I was able to enjoy, and I think of all the things that you've had to just cancel out of your life for the past couple years, man, that's challenging. And unfortunately, that has the tendency to kind of <laughs> change our attitudes, change our behaviors, change the way we think about things. So, so ask yourself the question, how do I react? How do I have the ten tendency to react when something happens in my life, when, when there is a challenge, when there is a bit of opposition? Do you have the tendency, some of you have the tendency, let's just be honest, to react out of fear. Worry, anxiety, fear, that is your first lean-to. You react out of worry. In fact, it's interesting that the Bible tells us not to have worry, anxiety, or fear 365 times in God's word. Now, some people would say, well, that's a really weird coincidence because aren't there 365 days in a year? Yeah, kind of amazing, isn't it? That God put one of those in there for each day of the year. He says, don't fear. Don't worry. Let me handle the pressures, the challenges that you're facing in life. Don't be concerned about tomorrow. He tells us that we can live that way. Now, are we going to erase all fear? Are we going to be able to live a life of no fear? Probably not. But can we live a life with less fear? Yeah. Can we make sure it doesn't cloud our judgment on every decision that we have to make? Yeah. And for some of you, fear is the overriding factor that helps you determine the course of your life. Some of you tend to react out of famine. 
You know what a famine is, right? It's when there's not enough food. There's not enough. The Bible has numerous stories. The most, the most prolific one, the, the biggest one, is probably a guy named Joseph who had to lead Egypt through seven years of famine. And some of you are like, you know what? I'm going to choose based on a famine mindset because I'm not sure there'll be enough. I'm not sure that what goes around is going to come around to me. I'm, I'm always the last one chosen on the team. I'm always the last one out. Maybe you're the, the youngest person in your family, and, and you just kind of feel like, you know what? Somehow, some way, God left me out of the picture. He doesn't even know I'm here, and I'm always getting left with the leftovers, and the truth is the leftovers aren't much. And so all of your decisions you wind up making and choosing and basing on a famine mentality. But that's not how God wants us to live. That's not how God wants us to react. That's not how God wants us to think. He doesn't want us to live based on fear. He doesn't want us to live based on famine. He wants us to live based on faith. Faith. How does God want us to live? What's the word? Say it one more time. Faith. God wants us to live a life of faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith, no one can please God. You could do all kinds of nice things. You can open the door every time your mom and grandma go somewhere. You, you can help little old ladies across the street. You can carry in the bags of groceries. You can do it all. You can do all kinds of nice things, but the truth is it is our faith that pleases God. We have too many people that go to church on Sunday morning, and then they come out, and they look up kind of like, okay, God, did you see that? You notice I was in there. Come on, man. Little credit. How's it church? That doesn't please God. Does he want us to be in church? Yeah. He's the one who put it together. He's the one who said, this is a movement that is going to outlast everything and everyone. But you want to know what pleases God is when we live a life of faith. Live a life that says, you know what, Lord, here you go. This is my life. And how do you do that? How do you, how do you give God your life? You give him each day of the week. You wake up in the morning and say, all right, Lord, here's a new script Here's a new chapter. Here's a new day. I'm giving it to you. I'm signing my name at the bottom of it. You fill it in. And you give him your life on a daily basis. You want to know what will happen? All of a sudden that dream that he's planted in your heart, it'll start to come to fruition. And doors will begin to open up. And you'll be able to see which way you're supposed to go because you have given God the day-to-day -day of your life. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God has plans to give you a future. But he wants you to give him the plans of your day to day. What if you were to give him the plans for next semester? You know what, Lord, here I go, man. New semester, maybe for some of you, new school, new class, new friends, new teachers, 
man, God, I want to live for you. I want to live out your plans in my life. And you begin to give him the day-to-day and watch what he does. However, it's interesting because a lot of people love Jeremiah 29, 11. For some people, maybe even some of you in this room, life first, love it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Awesome. But you want to know something? Sometimes we forget that the chapter goes on. Let's listen to what it says in verse 12. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Does God have a plan for you? Yeah, he does. Does God have a dream for you that's bigger than the dream you have for yourself? Yeah, he does. But he wants you to seek after him. And here's the awesome thing. God has a promise in there. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me, you will find. How many of you found a staff member last night in a council hunt? How many of you found somebody? Huh? Not too many. Okay. That means the staff hid pretty well. And that's, trust me, while the object of the game is for you to find them, the object of their game is not to be found. Okay? And they, I mean, some of them do it up big. They are not going to be found. They're going to put themselves in the most difficult position for you to find them. You want to know what God's going to do? He's going to put himself in the exact place where you need him to be so that you can find him. God is not going to go into the woods and hide underneath the trees and throw a bunch of leaves over himself and then not breathe when you walk by. No, God's basically going, here I am. Here I am. All I need for you to do is seek me. And that brings us to our next word. The next word is draw. Draw. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, oh, I was hoping I could maybe, you know, draw a picture. No, no, no. We're not drawing There's actually a word in the Bible where draw means we get closer. We draw nearer to God. That's what the verse says, in fact. It says in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James Did you know he was the half-brother of Jesus? Same mom, different dad. (laughs) But can you imagine being the half-brother of Jesus, the younger half-brother of Jesus? I mean, come on. That had to be a drag. Especially like if he went to school and he had the same teacher as Jesus had. Can you imagine, you know, the parent-teacher conferences? I don't understand. He does not act like Jesus. He doesn't have the same grades as Jesus. How many times did Mary and Joseph say, how come you can't be more like your brother? Oh, man, he must have had it up to here. And truth is, that's evident because he didn't believe that Jesus was who he says he was. James wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And in fact, he and some of his family members went to try to have Jesus committed. They were like, he is off his rocker. He's lost his mind we got to get him taken care of. But you want to know one of the people that a risen Jesus, you want to know why you should believe in Jesus? You want to know why you should be a Christian? Because of Jesus? Well, yeah. I mean, he's the one guy who's predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. 
How about James? Because James was a non-believer. What changed his mind when Jesus, a risen Jesus, appeared in front of him? Now, we don't know what Jesus said. Sometimes I like to think it's na 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 but I don't think that was Jesus' attitude. I think he was a little kinder. I think he was like, hey, James, do you believe me now? Do you believe me now? And James became one of the leaders of the early church and, in fact, gave his life. Some historians say that he was the first one to give his life for the cause of Christ because he knew it was real. And he says this. He says, look, I have found out in my life. It took me a while. But if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Don't you think it's sometimes we think it's reverse? Okay, God, I'm waiting for you. Come on down. And then when you set out and take that first, and God's like, yeah, I already did. <laughs> took a big leap to Calvary. I took that step. Now I need you to draw near to me. And, and here's the problem, young people. You're all going to go through something, okay? Y'all going to go through something. There's going to be some drama. There's going to be some trauma. There's going to be some loss. Maybe you've already experienced a loss of someone that you love, whether it's a mom or a dad or a grandparent or a brother or sister or maybe even a best friend. You've experienced that, and what that has the tendency to do, it either pulls us towards God or we push away from God. you got to kind of make that call right now. You cannot allow. Why? Because life happens. And all of us go through difficulties and loss. We cannot allow it to pull us away from God. Instead, we need to make sure that it's pushing us towards God. Why? Because when we draw near to God, He draws near to us. When we take the first step, he takes the next gigantic step. In, in the New Testament, Jesus shared a story about the prodigal son. In my opinion, the story is more about the prodigal father. Because while the prodigal son tried to live an extravagant life, the prodigal father had extravagant grace and mercy and love. But yet, you'll notice that when Jesus tells that story, he talks about the fact the son has to realize, I've got to go back to my father. But even while he is a long ways off, the father been looking for him the whole time. And he jumps off that porch and he runs towards his young son. And he throws his arms around him. And the young son is like, you know what? I'll just be a servant. I'll just be a slave. And the father says, get his robe. Get the family ring. Put some sandals on his feet. My son has come home. And wherever you are at right now, Listen, I'm telling you, young people, if you'll take that first step and draw towards God, draw near to Him, He will come towards you. And you will experience Him in a new way, in a fresh way. But we have to be willing to make that decision. How do we do that? We have to position ourselves to hear from God. 
This is awesome that you are here. So cool that you're here. Okay, but you're at camp, and so, you know, if you're going to be a camper, you follow the camp rules, which means what? Well, it means you come to the service at 10 in the morning, and you come to one at 8 o'clock at night. So here you are, but when you go home, maybe for some of you it's more of a choice. Choose to put yourself in a position to hear from God. Choose that. Whether it's going to church, whether it's being part of a youth group, whether it is reading some of God's word. You know what? I would encourage some of you, just read a chapter a day. You're like, a chapter a day? That sounds like nothing. Yeah, but if you read a chapter a day at the end of a week, you'd have read seven, which would be seven more chapters of the Bible than you've read in a while. And the cool thing is that some of the books in the New Testament are only four, five, six chapters long. Man, you'd be whipping through some good stuff. And there's so many means that it's available. You... You talk to any staff member, they can clue you in on how you can download the Bible to your phone. You can have it with you. But put yourself in a position to hear from God. Second thing, pray, pray throughout the day. Throughout the day, pray. And I know some of you think praying is, you know, drop to your knees by your bedside before you hit the head. Awesome. You could do that. But the cool thing is that 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. What did Paul mean? We're supposed to walk around all day with our eyes closed and just constantly be in prayer? No, he's saying be in an attitude of prayer. Be in an attitude of prayer so that when God brings someone to your mind, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a brother or sister, your parents, your grandparents, whatever it is, when they come to mind, you pray for them. Hey, God, bless my mom and dad today. Hey, you know what? My dad's got a big thing at work today. Please help him, Lord. Maybe you're getting ready to walk into a class. You're getting ready to walk into school for the first day. God, new year. Man, I could sure use you. I need your strength. I need your help. Help me to be all I can be for you. Quick prayers throughout the day. God is always ready to hear those. And we need to be in that attitude of prayer. And we need to make sure that we are praying throughout the day. Here's another thing. Practice compassion for yourself and others. Practice compassion for yourself and others. You want to know what Jesus said when a lawyer came and asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're like, well, yeah, of course. I expect Jesus to say that. But then he said, the second one is just as important. What? How can anything be more important than loving God? It can't be. It's just as important because it proves you love God. And you know what the second one was? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now listen to me, young people. Look, look at me. I want you to hear this because for some of you, this is what you need to hear. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And some of you don't love your neighbor because right now you don't love who God made you to be. You got you to gotta love yourself because only then can you love others. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Some of you, you love yourself just fine. In fact, you think you are basically the living in. You are the nicest, funniest, and coolest person you've ever met. Great. You need to love other people like you love yourself. Jesus said that's how you're going to prove. Because all of us could go around and say, hey, do you love God with everything? You oh, yeah, I love God with everything I got. How do we prove that? By loving other people. 
Part of that is being available. I got to tell you this quick story because it kind of blew me away. When, oh, and I forgot the illustration. It, there's a book. Just pretend I'm holding a book up. It's yellow, and on the cover it says, Dream Big. Anyways, I forgot it. But there's this guy named Bob Goff, and he wrote this book, Dream Big. In fact, I got the first point for this message by reading that book. And, and he's a New York Times best-selling author. He wrote a book called Love Does, sold million copies right off the bat, and all of his books have sold millions of copies since. He is a prolific author, speaker, communicator. I love listening to him. I love reading his stuff. At the end of his first book, he put his cell phone in. And he told the publishers, he said, I want to put my cell phone in there. They're like, you're crazy. He goes, no, I just want to let people know I'm available. I read the first book. I saw the cell number. I'm like, yeah, that's cute. He's probably going to change his number. When I read Dream Big, there it was again. And I did a little two-week mini-series at my church on dreaming big for grads and dads. Did it in June. And I told him after the first week, I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to call the number. I'm going to call Bob Goff. See if he really answers the phone. So I'm driving down. Well, actually, I was driving down Allen Road, for those of you that are from Detroit area or downriver. I was driving down Allen Road. I had a place I had to get to. I had a few minutes. I thought, you know what? I'm going to call him. It's going to go to voicemail. I mean, I wasn't even thinking that he would answer the phone. All of a sudden, he says, hey, I'm getting ready to go into a meeting. This is Bob Goff. I'm like, uh. But I quickly recovered because I knew if you're going to call Bob Goff, you better have something to say. I had something to say. I gave him my little pitch, told him I was doing a two-week series. Do you want to know something? I don't think he had a meeting to go into because we talked for nearly 10 minutes. And I'm going to tell you something. That guy fed into my life. I could not believe what he was able to do in seven or eight minutes. I got done, and I just, I, I mean, I just kind of sat there for a minute. And then I just started calling my family and calling my wife. I'm like, you're never going to believe who I talked to. I talked to Bob Goff. And he fed into my life. And he said, you know what? He says, I'm writing a book in July. He says, I think there's a book in you. What's your story? <laughs> You're Bob Goff. Why do you care about my story? Here is this New York Times best-selling author who is making time for a guy he doesn't even know. What's that say to you and me? Because we have difficulty making time for the people we do know and the people we love. Be available. Be available. It's one of the ways that you will show compassion. Let me give you one more. The first word was what? That's nice, but it's really weak. It's like dream. No, no, no. God gives you a dream. What's the first word? Dream. But the only way that dream is going to be accomplished is if we what? What's the second word? Draw. We got to draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. Here's the third one. We got to drop. You're a step ahead of me. Good for you. What's the third word? Draw. Drop. Drop drop. You know what we need? He 
took us because he got to. And tonight might be your get to moment. <laughs>